I want to just preach a word today. I'm kind of excited about it. Got a lot to go over and just so much, much as my heart about it, but uh, I just feel it's timely. In 1 Peter, if you'll just turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. I want to just read um, some, some of the verses here. Take a moment and read. And I'm going to be reading out of the um, New Living uh, Translation. So if you have your Bible turned there or on your device, click there. Um, just start reading in First Peter. I want to talk to you today about the furnace of courage. The furnace of courage. In First Peter chapter 4, starting verse 12, it says, Dear friends, he's writing to the church, he says, Don't be surprised when you go through the fiery trials ahead. For this is no strange, unusual thing that is going to happen to you. Instead, be really glad, because these trials will make you partners with Christ in His suffering, and afterwards... You will have the wonderful joy of sharing His glory in that coming day when it will be displayed. Verse 14, Be happy if you are cursed and insulted for being a Christian. For when that happens, the Spirit of God will come upon you with great joy. And one of the things as he's talking about here, he says that the, the glory of the Spirit of God will, will be seen in you. And so he uses the word that the glory of God will come on you, or the Spirit of God will come on you, but he also says it'll be in you. And so one of the things I want to just say about going through the things that we go through is that God does not allow suffering without a plan of victory. I'm so thankful for that. God does not allow suffering unless to go through things without first having a plan of victory because He's God. In the New Testament, Paul refers to the things we go through, some of the things we go through as fiery trials. In the Old Testament, we see uh, it was a fiery furnace. Isaiah talked about the furnace of affliction. And no matter what it was or what it is, these acts that we see God bringing or doing in the lives of men and women in the Bible and our lives, it flows from both uh, justice and compassion that God has for us. Now, we see also that the fiery trials that Paul's talking about here and what we see in the Old Testament, really they refer to the process of refining gold or silver, precious metals or stone. It's talking about the process. It was a fiery furnace or fiery trial. It talked about how that gold is refined in fire. And it brings out the impurities and it destroys or takes away the impurities so that all you have left is the most valuable and the most uh, significant uh, thing that that material can have. The, the genuine gold. Now, I don't know about you, but you might want a uh, and like a gold-plated watch, but you know it's better to have a solid gold watch, right? I don't know about you, but that's what God is doing in our lives. And the Bible describes it over and over again, that this fiery trials that Paul talked about and the afflictions that we go through are for a much greater purpose and something more valuable than we have now, something more valuable than we see now is what God is doing in our lives. See, when other people see trials of fire, God sees trials of glory. When other people see uh, uh, you know, a furnace of fire, God sees a furnace of courage. So I want to encourage you today about that. I like what Paul and how he describes the things that we go through and he went through. He said in one place that we must go through many hardships to enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, he said in another place that such troubles are part of God's plan for us as Christians. He described it in 2 Corinthians that the things that he went through, he described them as light afflictions. Yeah, right, Paul. Light afflictions. No, he said compared to what God has, compared to the glory, compared to what's coming after these things, it's light affliction. And then he also described them as being short. 
in their time and duration. That you just God takes us through things and brings us through things shortly because there's something eternal happening in our lives. I love that. In Second and Second Timothy, rather, Paul is talking to Timothy and writing a letter. And one of the things he talks about here, another way he describes what he went through. He talks about the things he went through and how he went through them as part of uh, being in Christ and the life of Jesus and, and uh, really living the gospel out in his life. And this is what the gospel brings. This is what he said. It brings these afflictions. It brings this trouble. It brings all these things in his life. But he also said this in that very portion of scripture when he's talking about trouble. He said this, and we'd love to quote this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And uh, did you know that but at the same time he's talking about trouble, he describes that and he, and he gives that scripture. And he says, God didn't give us a spirit of fear. If you read that in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, what he's talking about there, he goes in and talks about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, even though I'm going through this, those, these things. Because the afflictions and the persecutions he's talking about, really they come and they make us unashamed of the gospel. Well, what does that mean really when we go through things? What it means is usually when we go through trouble, we are either afraid or we can be ashamed. And he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, the things I go through make me less ashamed, more bold to live out the gospel in my everyday life. And so I know that troubles, uh, trials can bring, uh, really lead to uh, a fear and they can lead to uh, being ashamed. What do I mean by that? I believe what Paul was talking about here is a lot of people think that there's a shame that when, when we go through troubles and trials and afflictions or whatever you call it, that there's almost a shame there. There's almost like, well, you know, God's beating me up and everybody else is blessed except me. And you don't want to talk about it. Listen, the Bible says that we're to rejoice in those times. Not to be ashamed of those times and to carry a shame over in our lives. But why? Because there's a glory that's happening. There's a glory that's coming, not a shame. The devil wants to bring shame. God wants to bring glory in our lives. And very familiar passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. I love this scripture where Paul said that God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. Was he talking about in the good times? Was he talking about when he, you know, he had a bunch of food and a bunch of friends and all his ministry was going great? No, he was talking about when he didn't have food, when everybody was forsaking him, and when he's in prison. He said, God's grace is sufficient for me. That means that God's grace is not just enabling him to go through those things, but God's grace is greater than the things that he goes through. God's grace is greater than these things that, he, uh, that uh, I go through, Paul said. Think about it. Now, that, when I read that, I, I thought of a question. This question came in my heart. If Listen, if whatever I do doesn't change God's love for me, then why should my love for God change when he does what he wants to do? You see what I'm saying? So I can say this. Hey, God loves me no matter what I do. I love, I love that. I believe that. And I've heard a lot of people quote that. But why would my love change when God does what he wants to do? My love shouldn't, for God shouldn't change. My love and trust should get stronger when God begins to do things that I don't agree with or I don't feel comfortable with in my life. But they're God. Amen. And so I love that. His grace is sufficient. That's the big picture of grace. And Paul knew this. Paul also knew this about the grace of God. That grace enables us to see the hand of God in all the events in our lives. So that what happens is then these things become bearable, not breaking. 
Paul knew that. That's why he could say God's grace is sufficient. Because God wasn't there to break him. God was there to allow him to bear those things that could bring glory into his life later on. Amen. You know, I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. The Bible says that the Word of God is refreshing. It's like a cup of cold water. And, you know, when I read the Gospels this last week, uh, reading the Gospel is just so refreshing. It just refreshed my spirit, you know, and my heart, you know, with the Gospel and the story of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and everything that God wants to do. But let me just say this about the uh, water. <laughs> if, the, if the Bible is like water, well, guess what? It can be refreshing, but if you add heat to it, it can become very uncomfortable. And I don't know about you, but some things God takes me through, God turns the heat up and they become uncomfortable. I read scriptures and they, they just seem a little bit uncomfortable to me because then I've got to change. Then it speaks to my situation. It doesn't talk about all the good things. It talks about some of the bad things that happen in my life. But nevertheless, it's the word of God. And I believe that the, we know that water, even though it's cold, it refreshes, but also when you heat it up, it purifies. Boiling water has a way of purifying whatever is in the pot. Wow. So don't get out of the pot. Amen. Stay there. And you know something? I believe in my heart. I personally believe in my heart. And I've heard people say this, you know, this uh, last couple of weeks, that what God is doing, God is bringing us through an uncomfortable situation that we can have, see revival in an uncomfortable way. God's just doing some new things, and maybe it may be uncomfortable for us, and it might be kind of awkward, but I believe that there is a revival coming out of this uncomfortable situation. Look at all the people in the scriptures that really had to deal with a furnace of affliction in their life. Moses had to deal with the children of Israel. David was chased by his enemies. Uh, Job lost his, uh, his possessions and his health. And, and uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah were cruelly treated for prophesying what was right and what was good. And, uh, you know, you think about some of these other people. Daniel was put in a lion's den. Paul and Silas were put in prison. Jesus himself is, is prophesied about Jesus and said that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with our griefs. He carried those. He acquainted himself with our griefs and our sorrows, our afflictions. And the Bible says that because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. And Jesus himself taught uh, two men, two of his disciples, on a principle called the baptism of fire. Did you know that? We, I love the baptism in water, love the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but I feel uncomfortable about the baptism of fire. But Jesus taught it, and Jesus lived it in his life because he said this is what's going to happen. And again, because of the joy that was set before him, just like what Paul wrote, he endured the cross. Paul talked about this present time doesn't seem comfortable, but afterwards it's going to do something amazing. In Isaiah chapter 48, what I alluded to earlier in Isaiah 48 verse 10, says, Behold, this is God speaking to the people of, of Israel, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have chosen you in the fire of affliction. Amen. I believe that's true. And I believe that God wants us to be smart about this and smart about what we go through. In fact, a wise person is smart about what they go through. They see the hand of God in affliction as well as blessing. And when we get in those places of affluence, you know, we, we can, it's easy for us to say, hey, I see God's hand in this. But what about the times of affliction? Can we see God's hand in that? And I believe that is smart. That's wise. The Bible says that a wise man really can see what God is doing in the end. Amen. And so I don't want to be foolish. I want to be wise. 
And so I want to just give you a story, and I talked about it earlier, but in Daniel chapter 3, there's no other story, no other account in the Bible that brings this uh, point home. Um, Really, it really talks about a story about it, the furnace of courage. And that is in Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, we see that uh, Israel was disobedient to God, and God allowed their enemies to overtake them, led them into captivity. This was the time of Daniel, the time of, uh, of those things. And also there was a, another account that I want to talk about, and this is in Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. And that is about three Hebrew men, or, or three men, that really saw this uh, living out in their life, and saw this uh, really played out in their life, and gave us a tremendous example of going through difficult things. In Daniel chapter 3, it says in verse 1, it talks about Nebuchadnezzar has set up an idol and wanted everybody to worship the idol. And uh, as, as all nations came together, governors, princes, everybody in the land that was who, who's who really came. And they were to worship this idol that he set up. But in, in verse 5 of chapter 3 of Daniel, it says that at what time you hear the sound of the, of the corner and the flute and the harp and sackbut and the psaltery and, and all these things, and all these instruments, all kinds of music, fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Verse 6, and whoever does not fall down and worship will the, uh, be cast into a fiery furnace. A fiery furnace. Now they were in Babylon. And a couple things I want to give you as a backstory. Babylon, one of the things, the very first thing they did is they changed their name. So when they came in and they brought the Hebrew men in and they wanted to change their name. So the very first thing they did is change their name. That's why this account talks about three Hebrew children called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not their original names. That's not their Hebrew names. That's their Babylonian names. They changed their names. They changed their identity. When you change your name, you change your identity. When you change your identity, you begin to change your character. And so they wanted to change their names because they wanted their identity to change. And then the other thing we see is that they changed their diet. They wanted them to follow the customs and the diet of Babylon and forsake their their Jewish traditions and and what God had spoke them to about their diet. That speaks of mentality. They wanted to change their thinking. They wanted them to think the way they thought. They didn't want them to think the way God's people thought and God's word and God's way. They wanted them to go Babylon's way. And so the other thing they did is Babylon wanted to change their worship. They wanted to change their worship by making them serve other idols and bow down to this big idol, which speaks of loyalty. So they didn't just want to change their identity, but their mentality. Then they wanted to change their loyalty, their relationship with God they wanted to change. They said, when you hear the music, bow down to the image. And let me just give you this principle. Whatever you see, you will worship. And whatever you worship, you will become. And they knew that, so they said, we're not going to worship this idol. We're not bowing down to this thing. We're not doing this thing. Why? Because at the time of Daniel, as we see as these three Hebrew children, they wanted, the culture wanted them to create a new normal for them. They said, we want this to be the new normal, that you bow down to this image and not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They said, look, we're not going to stick with this normal. We're gonna, God already created a normal for us to follow. We don't want anything to do with this new normal. Come on. I think you've heard that before. And anyways, so this is what we see here. And it's interesting that, it, that, that as we read that uh, they threatened them to be thrown in the fiery furnace. Now, did everybody have a furnace in their backyard? No. Why did they have a furnace here? Why was there a furnace like so close that he said, you know what, if you don't bow down, you're going to go into the furnace. 
a fiery furnace. Because the furnace, again, was created to perfect gold and purify gold. And that's how they shaped the gold for the image and the silver and the bronze. And all those things, the Bible says. They heated them up, and so they had a large furnace to do that. And so the king said, you know what? I'll tell you what, he probably didn't have to look around much. He just said, look, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to throw you in that furnace right there. If you won't bow down to the image, I'll throw you in the furnace where the image came out of. So, I mean, that's why they had that fiery furnace there. I always thought that everybody had a fiery furnace. That's why they were thrown in. No, it was specially made for this idol. And he said, I'm going to throw you into this this fiery furnace, but I believe that God turned a furnace of fire into a furnace of courage. Amen. Because of these three young men. And so the story in the Old Testament that we're going to read here a little bit and follow along in Daniel chapter 3 for the next couple minutes, and Paul's teachings that we saw in the New Testament really show us the things about a furnace of courage. What do they show us? Number one, they show us that there's power in your right choices. There's power in your right, not just choices and decisions, we know that, but there's power in your right choice, in your right decision. Let's look in verse 15 or verse 16 of chapter 3. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, O king Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, we just don't care what you think. We're getting ready to tell you something. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, then he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So they made a stand and they made a decree and they said, you know what, we're not bowing down. And whether we die, it doesn't matter. We're not going to do it. And God's going to deliver us. And so they not just said made a decision, they also made a decree and said, this is what's going to happen because of our decision. They believe God. So verse 19 says this, and so Nebuchadnezzar was so mad, full of fury. The Bible says that he bound them up and he threw them everything in. Usually what they do is they would strip people and then throw them in. The Bible says they threw them in with their hats on and their coats on and they threw them in. And then it even says that the guys who were, were you know, going to throw them in, who bound them up and threw the, uh, you know, the three human children in, the Bible says that the fire was so hot that they got burned up themselves. Uh, when Nebuchadnezzar was this mad, he heated the fire up seven times hotter than it already was. That's ridiculous. That's hot. That's really hot. So hot that these, these guys that were going to throw them in instantly burned up. You know, So that's really hot. And so we see that there was power in their right choice. They stood for God. They stood, amen, for what God wanted them to stand for. And they said, we're not going to do it. You know, there's a... There's a time that we really need to, to go a, a, along with, with culture and we need to obey and we need to, to, to do things that are right. But there's a time that we even need to make a decision and a choice for what's right. And let me just say something about right choices. They come with positive uh, uh, effects and they come with negative effects. There is positive and negative things that come out of right choices. Amen? Can anybody say amen? So yeah, so these things happen. And let me just say this, if you're, if you're going to make right choices, uh, there's just going to be people, you're not going to please everybody, everybody's not going to be happy all the time about right decisions. But it doesn't matter, amen, uh, when we make right decisions, there's power in a right choice. I'm not talking about selfish decisions. I'm not talking about selfish choices for yourself. I'm talking about right choices, the right decisions, what God wants, godliness, the things that are right and should be done and should be said, those are the things I'm talking about. These are strong decisions. This is, come, these strong decisions come from a strong will. They come from a, I will serve God. I will uh, do what's right. I will stand when nobody else is standing. And they come from strong courage. 
See, the three Hebrew children, uh, along with Daniel again, they said, I'd rather stand with God, I'd rather stand do what's right and suffer for it, than do what's wrong and pay the penalty from God. That's what they said. And so Christians are instructed. One of the things as Christians were instructed is that we are not to be changed and altered in our lives by anything else, any other source but God. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. And I believe that we're not to be changed or transformed by any other source in this life but God Himself. God wants us to be changed by Him. He doesn't want us to be fashioned after a culture that doesn't know God. He doesn't want us to go in a a direction that everybody else is going just because it feels good, just because it seems good. Is that right? And so God wants us to, to go His way. And that power of that right choice has some consequences to it uh, when it comes to righteousness and standing for what's right. There's a lot of people doing what everybody else is doing. There's an old saying that says, everybody is born an original, but most die a cheap imitation. Think about it. Because they want to do what everybody else is doing. They just want to go with the flow. They don't want to be wrong. They don't want to be hated. They don't want to be persecuted. They don't want to suffer affliction for right choices. But there is power in a right choice. And we see that with these guys. And Jesus himself said that you will be persecuted. You're blessed. Happy are you when you're blessed. You're persecuted, rather, for righteousness sake. For right choices. For right behavior. That's what he said. And so I believe that time and trouble are always revealing uh, our commitment to God. And there's a way that it reveals commitment of people. and Reveals our loyalties and where our heart is. So the second thing we see is about this furnace of courage, is that God shows up. This is where God shows up. This is where God shows up. Let's read in verse 23. After they were thrown in the fire furnace, the Bible says they were thrown there and they were bound and thrown in there. It says this in verse 23, the, the king said that they were when they were down in the middle of the pit, in verse 24, the king said, he was astounded and rose up in haste and he said to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the middle of the fire. And they said, yeah, we did. He said, but listen, I see a fourth man loose walking in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt. And in the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Amen. This is where God shows up. God shows up right in the middle of a furnace of courage. This is where miracles happen. The Bible says that they're, they, the, the ropes were burnt off. But I like what, what, Nebuchadnezzar, what Nebuchadnezzar said. He said, I see somebody that isn't bound. I see somebody that we couldn't bind. I see a man walking around in there. How many know you can't bind God? Amen. You can't. You may be able to, to put uh, you know, restrictions on people. And you may be able to, to force people into something. But you can't put rules on God. Amen. But he's in the middle of the fire. That's where God is. Jesus is there. He was the fourth man in the fire. And look what it also says. It says that the ropes were off these men. The ropes have burned off of them. The other thing that the furnace of courage does, I see that when God is there, miracles happen. Ropes of fear, ropes of intimidation, bondages fall off. Bondages of fear of man, opinions of other people. They just completely fall off in the furnace of courage. When you go through something and you stand up for what's right and you make a godly decision, amen, there's something that God begins to break intimidation in your life. God breaks fear of what other people are going to say and what they're going to do to you. You don't care anymore. You're just worried about what God wants to do. Amen. And so the other thing I see is that boldness comes. I'm not talking about arrogance, but boldness comes. 
And think, just check this out. The other thing we notice about the story that happens when you're in the middle of the fire, when God shows up in the fire, people watch. People watch you. I don't know what the furnace looked like, but there was some door, some window, that somehow the king could look in and he could see all four people. Think about it. All four men could be in there. They could, he could watch and monitor them. People are watching you. People are watching what you're going to do. They want to see what you're gonna, what you're gonna, how you're going to react, what you're going to say when you go through difficult times. When you lose your job and they don't, when you're not blessed and they are, people watch you. They watch what happens when you're in the fire. Think about it. They watch what happens, amen, as you're going through difficult situations. They're watching you. The Bible says in Psalms 34, 19, many... Many, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Amen. Afflictions teach us a few things. Afflictions teach us to face our fears, our foes, and our failures. How do you like those three points I put together there? No, they help us face our fears. They help us face our, our enemies, our foes, and our failures. They help us look at those things. And in fact, really what happens is with afflictions, ultimately they lead us to the one who loves us. They lead us to the one who loves us the most, which is God Almighty. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul said this, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been de destined for this. We have been destined for this. So we see here through these first two points of what the furnace of courage teaches us, that God stands by your decision to do what's right. And number two, God walks in your trial with you. God walks in the fire. He's with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And here's the third thing, and I love this point that we see about the furnace of courage, is that miracles happen after the fire. Miracles happen after the fire. In verse 27... It says, all the princes and governors and captains and all these people, important people, came and they saw these men who were uh, the bodies the fire had no power over, nor was the hair of their head singed. That's a miracle. Neither were their clothes changed, nor the smell of smoke on them. That's a miracle. Think about it. Not only were the ropes burned off, but there wasn't even the smell of smoke on them. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants and trusted in him, and they trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve our, or worship uh, any other god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language would speak anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made of uh, 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 a dunghill, we know what that is. Because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. And then the Bible says in verse 30, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember Paul wrote, when we read that scripture, in the very, or Peter wrote in the very beginning, 1 Peter, what did he say? Afterwards. Afterwards. There's something that happens afterwards. It's after the fire. It's when Nebuchadnezzar's heart was changed, and that was a great thing, but it didn't happen until after the fire. It didn't happen until after uh, you know, children of Israel left Egypt, all of a sudden Pharaoh's heart was softened. Think about it. It was when, it was when the fire had already, they had already gone through it, and they had already been uh, you know, dealing with this thing, and this thing was on their life. The Bible says there was no other way that this king could have this experience except they went through the fire first. 
And that's what God does in our lives. Many times we don't know why God's doing it, why it's happening in our lives, but I'm telling you it's something that comes later. It's afterwards. It's after the fire. Some people aren't going to believe in the Lord until after you go through what you're going through. People are going to see God's goodness until after you experience some negative things in your life or you're going through some trials. God deals with some things in your life. People aren't going to really, their eyes are going to be open and understand God's love until after the fire. This is an important principle. I hope we don't miss it. This king had an incredible experience. I mean, going from killing people to wanting these guys to... And he just said, listen, forget about this idol. Their God is God. Let's serve their God. Anybody speaks against their God, they're in trouble. Think about it. I think what, what he pronounced over, the sentence he pronounced over people might have been worse than a fiery furnace. At least in a fiery furnace, you live for like a second. When you cut up in pieces, you're living through the whole thing of it. Think about it. It's crazy. And so... We see that they had the first go through the fire. What else do we think about after something? After the cross. How about after the cross? How about when Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross because the joy that was set before afterwards. Afterwards, there'd be resurrection life for us. After the cross, he would conquer death for us. After the cross, he would give salvation to whoever believes in Jesus Christ. But it wasn't until after the cross. He had to go through the cross. He had to go that way because after it, there was tremendous joy for us. Amen. After the fire. The Bible describes there's suffering, but there's glory. So after the, this present suffering isn't compared to the future glory. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, in the New, New Living says, No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So this is what happens after the fire in our lives. God delivers you. God set you free. There's miracles. A harvest will come. The Bible says that you reap if you faint not. A harvest comes. There is a harvest of righteousness, the Bible says, in when we go through these things. And then I love what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 13. He said, the persecution that you go through, the afflictions that you go through, God's going to turn it around for a testimony. God's going to give you a testimony of these things. These things become a testimony. No longer do they become just a trial. That's what Jesus said. And I believe that one of the things that happened after a fire is that you see what God saw all along. You began to see what God saw way before you even got into that situation. God saw it all along. In John 16, in the world, Jesus said, In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Wouldn't it have been much easier? Do you think it much be easier for them just to, the children of Israel, like these three Hebrew children, just, just to bow down? Don't you think that it would have been easier for them to bow down to this idol? I mean, how easy is that? I mean, it would have been so much easier. But here's the real question. I mean, do you want to pay the cost of compromise or do you want to pay the pi uh, price of a miracle? That's what it is. It's the cost of compromise versus the cost of a miracle. I don't know about you, but I'd rather pay the cost of a miracle. Because the cost of compromise not just affects you and your heart, it affects your eternal destination, your family, and those who know you. Think about it. It would be much easier to bow, but it's not much better to bow. See, in the furnace, in the fire, we can see God with us. But after the fire, others can see God through us. And I think that's very important. Amen. And in closing, I just want to bring this down to a close. I want to just, just say some things to you and pray for you today. Amen.
But you know, why doesn't God do something now? There's a lot of question that we have that I've said, why doesn't God do something now? Why, why, God, why don't you do something right now for me? Why don't you get me out of this now? Why don't you speak now? Why don't you deal with that person? Why don't you provide for me right now? Why don't you do something right now? I believe it's because he's got something much better, much bigger than we can see right now. And as Paul said, it's after. It's afterwards. These things aren't pleasant. These things aren't are, are great. They're painful at times. But he said afterwards. After the duration of these things. After these things run through. After that initial stand. Think about it. That initial decision of, of doing what's right. Walking with God through your tribulation, your trial, and your affliction. Amen. After something wonderful happens. And so I believe that when you go through a trial, it doesn't just affect you but it can put courage in other people and it can put shame to your enemies. Those who want to see you hurt, those who want to see you destroyed, those who want to see you uh, just down and, and everything. Listen, God has a way of amazing those people. God has a way of changing those people and turning their heart around. Amen. But most of the time, it's when we, after we go through those things and we have got to go through the fire. In Job 23.10, I love this scripture as a young, a young teenager. It got me through a lot of, a lot of uh, situations. In Job chapter 23, verse 10, he said this, he said, I, But God knows the way that I take, and when He tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. There's something that God does in our lives that's so precious, so valuable. We've been talking about faith. We've been talking about trouble. We've been talking about the Word of God. Amen. And I believe things are opening up. Things are changing. Things are developing. Amen. But in your heart, in your life, we want to see God break through. We want to see God answer your prayers. And we want, we want to see God bring you to everything that He's promised you and your family. And I don't know if you're in trouble or you're causing the trouble or if you've got it for yourself. You brought that trouble into your home or whatever on your own. Listen, God is going to work a miracle today. God's going to work a miracle in your body, in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind. God wants to do something special for you today. If you just recognize that, God, you've got me in this for a reason. And it's for glory. I believe that with all my heart. So let me just say this, amen, in closing, what I said at the very beginning, that when others see trials of fire, God sees trials of glory. When others see a furnace of fire, God sees a, fire, a furnace of courage, amen. So I want to pray with you today, and I just pray today that courage wells up in your heart, amen. Lord, we just thank you today for the Word of God. We thank you for this time that we've taken together, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what we're going through as people, as a nation, as individuals, Lord, you are with us. We thank you, O oh God, that no matter what pain, the level of pain, the degree of trial and tribulation of affliction that we're going through, Lord, it doesn't matter. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient, Lord. And I thank you for the grace of God that enables us, Lord, that we can sing in a furnace. We can sing in trouble. We can sing in a valley. We can, Lord, shout in persecution because of the grace of God. I pray that, Lord, that we would learn, Lord, and understand more deeply the grace of God in our lives, Lord. We thank you for that today. I pray for those that don't know you, Lord. I pray that you, I just ask, Lord, show your love to them like you did me. Just show your compassion, your forgiveness, Lord, your restoration power in their lives like you did me, Lord. I pray that they would come to the knowledge of Jesus and open their heart to you. Those that are away from God, may they come very close to you today and hear your heart that you love them and you care for them and you forgive them, Lord. I pray for those that are sick in their body. I pray that you would heal them, Lord, according to your word, that, Lord, we know that by your stripes we are healed. 
Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that forgives us and heals us. Lord, we pray you would bless every family, bless every home, bless every child and teenager. Lord, I pray you would bless marriages today and, and family units, Lord, and single moms and dads and single individuals, Lord. Bless them, bless them, bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you today.